Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the We Are Children's Division podcast. We have a uh, we have a special topic for you today. We're going to be talking about safe sleep. Of course, we all we have, as always, our information guru uh, with us, Ashton Kiever. Ashton, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm just great. I'm just thrilled to see you. Uh, we also uh, have with us uh, Liz Tietzort and Haley Musso, who are... Uh, who are sort of experts in this area. So, uh, Liz and Haley, why don't you tell us uh, tell us what you do for the agency and uh, how you got there, and then we'll go from there. We'll start with you, Liz. Why don't you tell us tell us what you do? Sure. Hi. Um, so, as uh, Daryl said, I'm Liz Tietzor, and I am a program specialist with the Children's Division, um, with my primary role being a review of critical events. And so, as he said, our topic um, is kind of near and dear to me in the sense of um, I review um, unsafe sleep deaths, and so um, I'm I'm looking forward to this conversation today with with both uh, Daryl and uh, Haley. And Haley, what do you what do you what do you do? Yeah, so um, I am with I am under the same umbrella as the Children's Division. We're all under the Department of Social Services, but I am with the State Technical Assistance Team, um, and I manage the Child Fatality Review Program. Okay, so thank you both for being uh, with us. Uh, it is uh, it, it is uh, a special time when we talk about safe sleep. We we do this we do this every year, and the reason we do it every year is because it's a significant thing. So you know, Liz, you you review the critical events, uh, you know, and and safe sleep is so much of that. What's your what's your experience with how much of our how many of our critical events are really safe sleep issues? How often does this happen? Oh my, um, it happens more often than it should. And and I know Haley, um, she's kind of our our numbers keeper in that sense. Um, and so I, I may direct it to her to kind of give us some a brief update on current numbers. And then I, I do kind of have a thought on that though. So Haley, numbers. <laughs> how, how, what do our numbers look like when the uh, of of these tragedies? So I, we were able to get right now, we are in the process of, of developing our 2022 annual report, our child fatality review annual report. So we were able to get, you know, pretty firm preliminary numbers for 2022. Um, and we are at 105 total babies dying of, of sleep related causes. Um, so something that I really want to clarify here is, is there are different causes under the sleep-related umbrella. So we have SIDS, we have suffocation, we have undetermined. Um, sometimes they can look natural. Um, we also have child abuse. And then one I really want to point out today is there's a poisoning. So what we try to do at the Child Fatality Review Program is count the number of children that die when they're placed in unsafe sleeping situations. Death is not black and white, surprisingly. So when all of these unsafe sleeping situations shake out, they can really be from different causes. You know, our number one is suffocation. Generally, all the time, um, we see SIDS on the decline as we're um, able to better identify the causes of these deaths and, and attribute far fewer to SIDS. Um, but the poisoning that I want to talk about um, was due to fentanyl. The, right. it, 
the child was in an unsafe sleeping environment, but but then ultimately when we got um, cause information back, it was due to fentanyl, which which is such a problem. Well, and because fentanyl and, you know, so for those of you who don't know, the state technical assistance team is really law enforcement. You know, they're really are the, the law enforcement wing of the Department of Social Services. So these are these are, you know, you know, sort of a police officer kind of role. And so it's a very investigative and it's very much looking into that kind of thing. And those, uh, you know, so talk screens come back and fentanyl, you know, understanding I, you know, as a judge, I worked a lot with law enforcement and with the fentanyl epidemic. I mean, they were going into places with hazmat suits because you just touch that stuff. I mean, you don't have to ingest anything. You could, it can be absorbed through your skin. Uh, and I mean, this is like elephant tranquilizer, you know, and so a baby touches a minute amount of this and there you go. Right. I mean, so you put somebody to bed and you didn't know that <laughs> the fentanyl you had touched has now touched this baby and now this baby is being poisoned, right? That's exactly. So when we think about, you know, just the dynamics of um, substance use in general, if we're keeping it close to the bed and then we're sleeping with our baby in the bed. And, you know, as you talked about, Daryl, the transdermal nature of the fentanyl, it, it is just a problem. Um, and, and another thing that I want to highlight is is where this happens, right? So, uh, you know, when we get into the crux of the safe sleep message, it's alone on your back and in a crib. These instances are happening uh, alarmingly in adult beds uh, by far. Um, and in 66% of these 105 cases, the child was sharing a sleep surface with one or more adults, children, or animals. So not only are we seeing the danger of being in an adult bed, um, but we're also seeing the danger of sharing a sleep surface with others, whether that's on a couch, um, in an adult bed, on a chair, and, and places like that. So, Liz, you, you, having, having those numbers, you know, now we know the numbers, it's, uh, it's 105, Whole lot of different circumstances related to that. Uh, hearing that and uh, understanding the severity and the magnitude of what we're dealing with, what are your what are your thoughts? Yeah, of course. My first thought is I, I, I hear those numbers and then I look at the year's previous numbers and we seem to slowly be increasing again. And that worries me because why does it continue? When we sit here and preach and, and the professionals sit and preach that this is the most preventable death, but yet the numbers continue to increase, it, it tells me that our messaging isn't getting to where it needs to be. And what is our messaging? It, our messaging, as Haley said, is a lone back crib. We place the baby in a safe sleep surface as a crib, bassinet, pack and play, by themselves, no extra sheets, nothing, and on their back, and in C standing for crib, as I said, but why is that not happening? Why is that not happening? Is it lack of access to cribs? Because we do have, there are programs across the state. So then I think my other question then is, I, I think the messaging we have to look at, we're talking to sleep deprived individuals who they're exhausted. Maybe it's a single parent. She just worked a 12 hour shift and got home and her only way for her and baby to get some sleep is, Oh, I fed the baby. I fell asleep accidentally while feeding the baby. She wakes up eight hours later, five hours later, however long. 
And unfortunately, the infant is now um, perished due to suffocation, rollover death. And, and so I think I, I, I look at it and I, I just I question, why do they continue when we have this messaging? And so that's why I want to flip and, and, and talk about, do we need better messaging? Yeah, I mean, the, I'll say as a parent, ahead. sorry, Daryl, I'll say as a parent, you know, and I'm about to be a parent of another, another newborn, it's, it, it does get exhausting, but what makes it easier for me is having a, a partner willing to get up with me and that's there and present. But I wonder how often this is happening to people who maybe don't have that support system in the house, like with them all the time, you know, um, I'm thinking of like single mothers and, and you know, like you gave the example of like, she just came off of a big shift. Like, I don't know. I just, um, I can empathize with the situation, um, but it's, it's just devastating. And something else that comes to mind is like, <clears throat> what if your baby doesn't sleep on their back? You know, I, I had a friend whose baby literally from the time that it was born only wanted to sleep on its belly. That's the only way she could get her baby to sleep. What do they do? What's the suggestion then? Oh, these are all these are all very difficult things. And I think what I hear from you, Liz, is that your your sense is that a lot of these things are are terrible accidents. It's not like anybody set out to be a lousy parent or to mess up or any of this. And I see I see the same. Uh, the same critical events reports that you see, and I, I never thought I'd have the the, just terror of having to see, uh, you know, the facts of all the child deaths in Missouri. I mean, you, you know, it, it, the fact that you see them, it's just how many of them are are unsafe sleep, unexplained sleep, and and how, you know, it, it includes kids who are in foster care already. You know, it's like oh, take all the kids and put them in foster care. Some of, some of them are in foster care. Some of them are in, in situations where there's no history of anything ever having gone wrong ever. And I think about my own parenthood, you know, I mean, my youngest is now 20. So this is going back a while now, right? So, uh, you know, my wife's got a picture of me having fallen asleep watching football with our oldest daughter on my chest. It's an adorable picture, not of me, of her. It's an adorable picture and tragically dangerous. And I didn't do that on purpose. I did not intend to fall asleep watching the football game, but I was tired. I had my baby and I was tired. And how many people are have their baby and they're tired? So, you know, I, I think when you talk about the messaging, Liz, it has to be just not just, uh, not just, okay, uh, alone on your back in a crib, it's how do I prevent accidentally falling asleep with this baby? <laughs> how do I, how do I, how do I exercise caution and safety to avoid an accident? You know, I mean, it, even cause we were doing that, you know, we were swaddling her up and putting her on her back in a nice solid crib without any stuffies or fluffies around because we'd heard it even back in the late nineties, we were hearing this, right? We knew that was what to do. And nevertheless, here I am having fallen asleep on a couch with a baby. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, it's, it requires a lot of support and a lot of, a lot of things. So the question that you, you posed guys, and I'm, I'm interested to hear your, hear your thoughts is what do we, what do we do? What can we do to make this a better situation? Well, I think as, as I was saying, I think it's that conversation, um, not just us within children's division when we have contact, but any professional, any parent, any caregiver, if you're having contact with a new mother or a new family, 
um, or not even new, like it's their first child, maybe it's their third. And, and again, it's, 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 it starts over every time you have a new baby, that, that sleep deprivation. And maybe it's even worse when you have three, I should know. <laughs> but um, it, it's one of those where we all have a stake in this. It, it is everyone in the community having an open conversation with that parent, and it's open-ended questions. It's not preaching the don't do this, don't do this, make sure they're on their back, make sure they're this. It, it's having the conversation, how does sleep look for your infant? Is that working for you? How often are they sleeping? Because Ashton, to your point, there are many sleepless nights. There could be colic, there could be sickness in the home, and, and they're doing the best they can to get by. And so asking these open-ended questions to really elicit a response from that caregiver. And when I say caregiver, it could be through the grandparents as well, who's helping take care of that child um, on behalf of the parents because the parents are working or or they're not available, whatever that may be. So it's just having open-ended questions and developing an actual safe sleep plan. Okay, you're tired. What will your safe sleep practice look like? And asking them what it's going to look like um, and following up if you have that ability with them and to say, is that working? Do we need to reevaluate that? That's just some thoughts I have in, in really being intentional in our conversation around safe sleep with all caregivers. Do you have anything, anything to add to that, Haley? You have other thoughts to about that? Totally. I think also in that conversation, Liz kind of alluded to it, but who is your safe sleep safety network, right? So, so back when I was a frontline worker, we, we worked to develop safety networks with families, right? That was our practice then. Um, and really that looks like who can you call when you need support? And I think we really need to be intentional around that conversation as well. Who is your safe sleep safety network? It's been two nights already that things are not going good. You didn't get, you know, a nap, neither did the baby during the day. Who can come and help you and be your safe sleep safety network? And, you know, uh, along those same, same lines, I had a conversation with um, Dr. Tara Frazier a long time ago. Um, she is a child abuse pediatrician out of Kansas City. Um, she's the child fatality review state panel chair. And she, I, I had just come back to work off of my maternity leave. And she said, well, what's everyone asking you? And I said, how's the baby sleeping? And she said, exactly. We need to reframe that, it, it, you know, and it's not just how's the baby sleeping. Is it a good baby? Does she sleep? Well, she's a good baby and she has trouble sleeping. Those are those are separate things. Uh, a good baby uh, doesn't only mean they sleep well at night. And, you know, when you really get into the science behind sleep and baby sleep and SIDS, those wakings are really important throughout the night. So, so having a baby who sleeps those longer stretches, while it's great, it's very important developmentally, and it's very normal developmentally to have those frequent wakings throughout the night. Um, so I think it, there are things we can do in practice and in our personal lives. You know, when we when we know a new mom or new parents, how, how is the baby sleeping? They're waking up and how is that going? Do you need support? You know, do you have somebody that you can call when you're tired? Um, and then, you know, really, and then getting down to what is your safe sleep practice going to look like when you are tired and when you, when it gets really difficult to make that choice? Yeah, go ahead, Liz. Yeah, I think, Haley, it reminds me of baby sleep at nighttime, but not all night. 
it's one of those where we get that impression of a good baby sleeps eight hours a night. Not, not all babies sleep immediately that way. You're very fortunate if that happens. And so it's having that realistic conversation of, well, how often is the baby sleeping? How often are you sleeping? It's on both sides. And, and, and I think another piece that you throw in here, and I don't want to miss what you had brought up earlier, Haley, about the substance use um, that plays a role in some of these unsafe sleep deaths um, is having that conversation if there's, um, and I'm not saying it, it's all substances. It could be a prescribed um, uh, medication by a doctor that they are safe in taking, but it could still impact their parenting, um, or it could be other substances that still impact their parenting and, and, and making sure we're aware of having um, that conversation of, if you're using this substance, how does that make you parent? How does that impact your sleep and your parenting and then that sleep of the infant? So there's a, other little complicating factors that get thrown in there along the way. Well, and I think what both of you are saying, and I think it's exactly right, is this is this is broader than just the sleep question. I mean, it's broader than just the, the sleep of the child question. It's about, you know, something something that you said, Haley, you talked about having a safety network. Uh, it's not just a safe sleep safety network. It's a it's having a network. I mean, a network of people who will come around you to ask, how are you sleeping? Uh, have you got the rest that you need? Have you? I can't tell you the number of cases I saw over the years where uh, something happened and it was because of an exhausted parent, you know, exhausted, exhausted parent caring for autistic child who who tends to shred off her clothes and elope and go outside. I had more than one of those kind of cases. You know, you fell asleep on the couch and you're not able to monitor like you 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 you're you lose a certain level of, of vigilance because of your humanity and just you need people. People people without support networks are more inclined to have this kind of tragedy happen. And I think, you know, I think back to my childhood, you know, I think back to to uh you know, I, I, I told the story of my mom's mental health problems and how it, it, it you know, really spiraled out, spiraled out of control when I was seven. My baby sister was one of those I don't sleep at night babies, uh, crying and screaming and yelling. I still remember it. In fact, she still does that to this day. Not really. But uh, you understand what I'm saying. It was it was a that, that added a level of tension in my house that was sort of unbelievable. And uh, and it was a struggle. Uh, it was a real struggle. I mean, we got through, but we had a network. You know, my my mom's mom came to the rescue, and so did my dad's mom. I mean, they they came to the rescue to help with their knowledge and with their support and with their help. Would would we would not have made it without them? So you know, having having networks of people around to give you a break and to help when you're dealing with whatever problem you're dealing with, it's a big deal. You know, and sorry, Liz. You know, and. I was going to just say, like, Liz, you make a great point about the prescribed substance use, um, you know, because it's not even just like, does it impair your judgment? But if you're a nursing mom, um, like it can cross over through the milk. And and even though it could be safe, maybe your baby has an allergy or like there's so many things that can go into just just that conversation that that probably would be more considered accidental, but still um, things that when you're that exhausted, you're not necessarily thinking about. Um, and, you know, we were talking about, you know, they need to have a network, a safety network. There's a lot of parents out there that maybe don't have that network. You know, what do we, 
what are we suggesting to those families or those parents um, in our messaging or what should we be saying in our messaging um, of how to build that network? Where can they find that support? Uh, you, you have a, that's a very, very good question. And, and I think that's when we are intentional engagement with those parents come into into play um, because we think of networks and supports, maybe us here are our immediate family. And, and we have that ability to have our immediate family be our support network. But having sit down with the family and asking them what supports would you need to be able to raise your infant safely and in your home and, and who are these people? What what does that look like for you? Because my support network isn't going to look like your support network. Isn't going to look like someone else's support network. It could be that they're like, you know, I work at um, at my work. I, I've become really close with this individual. I haven't approached this subject with her yet, but. How do I do that? They may actually have people that they just haven't thought of to really bring into that circle, um, or it may be us connecting them to resources um, in the community, such as if there's, um, uh, the WIC offices and um, uh, lactation consultants, individuals who they may form a connection with that we may be able to uh, just include into that support network in, in some ways. And so we may actually we may have to dig and to think, but but. Asking them what would that look like versus us assuming that 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 their network's going to look like immediate family. Well, and Liz, I, I think that that also requires for us to build a culture where people are willing to come to us for that kind of help and that kind of support, because right now, based on history, based on our traditional approaches, a lot of folks, especially folks that are poor, uh, folks that have had substance issues, folks that have known people like that, say, don't go near the government because you'll get hotlined and then you'll lose your child forever and that'll be the end of you. And so, you know, changing the culture to where we're, our response is not only, not only is our response different, uh, but that the public's perception of our response is different so that, so that they don't see us as the, as, as, you know, the boogeyman as the, as the person who's coming to, to, to do some terrible thing, but is coming to, to help that person get that support because, you know, having, having uh, practiced law when I was much, much younger and having had parents like the ones that, like the one you described, Ashton, where there were substances coming through her body to her baby. She had no idea that could happen uh, to have, to, to have uh, to have people that these folks could go to for 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 advice, for direction, for counseling, for support in a way that could keep those children safe, uh, without uh, upending their whole life and without them hiding from us, so that they never get that help, and then we wind up with children who die in unsafe sleep situations or otherwise. You know, so it's it's a lot of culture shifting we have to do, I guess. Yeah, well, and it kind of makes me think about, you know, this work that that Vicki Stoneberger is working on, like, that's a whole, um, sorry, let me back up. It reminds me of this work that Vicki Stoneberger is working on with community and faith based partnerships, um, because that's another completely different avenue that we could send people down to build friendships and relationships and families of their own. Um, through community, and uh, I just I think I think that maybe those organizations don't realize really how far their reach can be um, when they are able to um, like build their build build their strength through the community and partner with us to help these families and prevent a lot of this stuff from happening. 
You know, it's an interesting thought, Ashton, because you know we're going to have a whole we're going to have a whole uh, podcast on this. I think, aren't we? We're going to have a whole faith-based podcast. But uh, you know, in in my family treatment court, or my family treatment court administrator said to me, you know, with regard to the the women who were in our family treatment court, Daryl, could you go out? And, you know, because she knew about my connection to the churches in the community. Uh, could you go out and find, like, I don't know, 17 church ladies to show up and uh, and, and and be like a mom to these people? Uh, and I thought, you know, I think we could. And if we did, you know, what could you do? You could call and say, hey, Gladys, this is, you know, this is Sue. I, I just worked a double. I'm exhausted. The baby's crying. Could you come over? And I'll order pizza. Hey, you come over here and help me tonight because I'm struggling. That kind of thing could change the world, right? I just think it could. I think it really it could save lives if if we're dealing with the the safe sleep exhaustion kind of things where it's like I'm going to lay my baby down in a way that I didn't mean to. I'm going to fall asleep with them in my bed. I'm going to while nursing even. Uh, you know, all kinds of all kinds of things could be prevented by having a friend, right? Well, and social media plays a huge role in this now, too, um, in that, like, it's a really great way to build those community um, and, and touch points. The problem is getting past the virtual side of it. So many people see it as like a virtual community, but that doesn't really help you when you're up in the middle of the night with your screaming baby. Um, and all you need is like two more hours of sleep, you know? And I think, Daryl, aren't, you know, the things I've heard you talk about your goals for the children's division and, and the 100 workers that you got is, is about really tapping into the community, right? And, and really pulling those resources from the community to help us help our families. And I think, you know, if you take this message and put it in that context, too, you know, that's another way to kind of get there along with all of the other things. We're hopeful that those connections do for for the families that we work with. That's exactly right, Haley. You know, in the, in the budget, we got we got we got funding for 100 new prevention workers. 100 people are not going to be able to go around the state and and make all this all the sleep safe. There's no way. There's no way they could show up at everybody's house and be the pizza person, but they can, but they can build that, right? They can build that community support around uh, in particular places that, and figure out how to get people tapped into it. And I think it, it is, and it is a full-time job. <laughs> it is a full-time job to do. And, 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 and Haley, it's exactly what we're hoping happens that we, that we, with that cohort of people can help energize help that already exists in the communities. Or we can call for it. You know, it's like a call for the cavalry. It's like a it's like a it's like it's like Mayday, With that Mayday. Signal. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, put up the it's it, they're all Batman, you know, we put up the big the big spotlight in the sky and it's like in 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 comes Gladys Batman, you know, that comes yeah. come rescue 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 this very tired, struggling single mom who you know, is is in a rough, having a rough way to go. And I think it's uh, I think it's really important to be mindful that that again, it's beyond sleep. It's 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 exhaustion. It's loneliness. It's you know the brain fog that happens. 
You know, I, I read somewhere that while your children and 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 Ashton, you're probably the exception to this rule. But you know, while your children are between the ages of one and seven, your IQ drops several points just because you're so tired and you're not stimulating your brain with anything but taking care of this child. And uh, imagine doing it alone. I mean, imagine I doing it alone. That. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree 100% with my six year old and 15 month old. Yes, I, I function way slower these days. Well, and here's the thing you're all doing your best. And I think most people do most people try. And I think, you know, when we're, when we're raising awareness about things like safe sleep and about self care and how to uh, get those, I, I think safety networks. Haley is exactly the right, the right, the right message beyond, you know, beyond the place a child on the back on a firm surface alone in a crib. That's all very good. How do, how do, how do we as parents have the networks around us to make sure that we can do that and, and avoid the other things, avoid the substance accidents, avoid the, uh, all the other trouble that comes from just being overwhelmed. So I think those are all good messages. And, and I think also, um, if a parent is going to co-sleep, we need to have a discussion with what will that look like and how it's the harm reduction. Because if they're going to sit here and tell you, well, I'm still going to do it, or we come into the home after already being there two weeks ago, the, and the bassinet is now full of blankets and pillows, and we know that hasn't been used in a few days or since we right. were there, we need to have that realistic conversation of, Okay, if you're not going to do the alone back crib, ask them why that's not working because there's a reason that's not working. But at the same time, let's educate them on some safe measures of if you are going to co sleep or if this were to happen, co sleep um, harm reduction methods such as there's nothing else in the bed with you and the baby. Um, set an alarm on your phone if you're going to be breastfeeding. A lot of parents breastfeed, mothers breast breastfeed. And they bring the infant into the bed. And as I think you mentioned earlier, Daryl, exhaustion takes over and you start to doze off. Set an alarm on your phone. Or if you have a partner or someone in the home, wake them up or call your safety network and say, check on me in 15 minutes or something. Just again, just thinking further, if if we know they're not going to use a lone back crib, let's have a realistic conversation of harm reduction. Right. And if they if they don't have a crib. Right. Well, well, the thing to do is get them a crib. You know, we we'll get on the we'll get on the phone with Care Portal and we'll get them a we'll get them a crib. But maybe they don't even have space for the crib. You know, if you, you know, being around a lot of judges over the years, I, you know, I, uh, I heard heard the story multiple times from Judge Jimmy Edwards, uh, who was the juvenile judge forever in the city of St. Louis, who used to just tell everyone that uh, his mother used to have him sleep in a dresser drawer. In a drawer. Well, you know, I, I think about Judge Ed Judge Edwards has survived, by the way, uh, and and flourished. He's both survived and flourished. Uh, and uh, I, I I've thought about him with regard to the safe sleep thing because I was thinking, you know, yeah, if, if you're going to co sleep, if you pulled that drawer out of there and it had nothing in it, and you had nothing in it, but you know, but a but a pad in the base of it, and you pace a baby properly in that, it's probably a whole lot safer than sleeping right on your bed. And uh, you know, so you don't, you just don't know. Not that we're advertising that's the thing to do, but, but, you know, uh, whatever we can do to help people be as safe as they can possibly be with the resources that they have, I think, I think you're exactly right, Liz. That's, that's what we need to do.
Well, you speak of, of a, uh, a drawer, Sweden. I don't know if you've heard of Sweden's. Um, they had a big campaign. I know they're much smaller than, than the U.S. and things like that, but uh, they did a baby box campaign. And that sounds weird, doesn't it? Putting your baby in a box. But to your point, if nothing else is in there, um, and again, I am not promoting that. I don't want anyone to say, think that that's what I'm saying, but I find that interesting. Well, and, and is it safe? And I mean, if it's if it's if it's safer, if it it sounds it sounds at least as safe as a crib, if that's what works for you. Uh, and then the question is, what kind of box? Is it a cardboard box? Is it a wooden box? Is it a shoe box? What kind of box? Uh, uh -huh. A drawer is a box. A drawer is a box. And you know, uh, I, I think that uh, I think there are a lot of things that that people could do in the in, in the emergency situations that they have. You know. Getting them to pack and play, whatever it takes to do uh, to make it okay. So, uh, any any closing thoughts from all of you? Uh, yeah, I just had one more, and I think it's important that we kind of make sure we hit on, or um, at least practitioners help parents be aware of any recalls that are going on. We had a big. Um, rock and play recall um, due to rollovers and suffocations within the rock and play, um, which is kind of an inclined sleeper. Um, and then also, you know, there are a lot, a lot, a lot of swings, bouncy seats, um, you know, just all over the market to help promote infant sleep. And um, it, it's easy again, when you're in that exhausted state to think if this is going to help my baby sleep we we need to use it or buy it it's it's worth the 150 dollars if, if i'm going to get a couple hours of sleep um but really kind of staying with that um back is best message um also a big thing right now is um oppy pillows um the u-shaped pillows or or now they also have um kind of a inclined sleeper pillow. I'm not sure how to describe it. Um, again, these are tools, right? So um, the boppy pillow is great for supporting breastfeeding and things like that. Um, not necessarily a sleep space. Um, the same with car seats. So, so when I talk about all of these products, um, an issue that comes with sleeping in these products is we call it a flexed chin to chest position. Um, those infants, they, they all have massive heads, right? So you, everybody's seen the picture where an infant or a toddler kind of puts their arms up and, and touches fingers over their head and their head fills that whole space, right? Which, which is not, not normal for an adult. Um, their heads are huge. So when they get into that flexed chin to chest position, it, it kind of, um, kind of cuts off the airway and the, and then the, infant can suffocate so so really being mindful if they fall asleep in the car seat transfer them if they fall asleep in the bouncy sleep seats transfer them and then as practitioners kind of help parents be aware of those those dangers and those risks as well well and Haley, what that requires is that requires that we keep up with those things that we be on the lookout for recalls for different things that the parents rely on i mean i think back to the to the, we called it the magic chair. You know, when our oldest was a baby, it was the magic chair. We got our daughter into this little, like you said, this little bouncy seat thing, but it had a little vibrator on it. And it was like, she would just, nothing else would work. You put her in that thing, she'd fall asleep. And then sometimes we would fall asleep with her in there. And so she stayed there. I'm not sure that was safe. I'm not sure that was okay. Now, our second daughter, we thought, it's okay. She's fussy. We'll put her in the magic chair. So we put her in the magic chair and it didn't work. She'd cry 
and it would be a vibrating cry. It would be like, <laughs> you know, it was like that, you know, it was like terrible. <clears throat> but we depend on those things. And if it turns out they've been recalled, there's a problem with them, there's a danger, you know, I, I think we need to be on top of that so that we can help people be on top of that. Liz, do you have any closing thoughts about all this? I was just going to actually provide um, how we can keep up on those recalls, safesleep.mo.gov. Um, okay. There's a link um, on there. And safesleep.mo.gov is a part of our Safe Sleep Coalition um, that uh, not only is DSS a part of, but um, many uh, stakeholders throughout the state, they are all team members and stakeholders are part of this coalition trying to reduce the numbers of unsafe sleep deaths. And so there's a lot of resources um, for families of how, how do you, if you need a crib, there's the link to get a crib. Um, there is um, other resources as far as like, if, if you're a stressed parent and you don't know what to do and how do we, how do you reach out? Um, you can, there's a lot of links on there. Um, and so, but that is CDC. That, there's another link on there for the CDC for recalls. And so um, I'm so glad, Haley, you brought up those recalls because when you said boppy pillows, several um, events flooded my mind because those have 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 come up recently. I feel like boppy pillows, um, the use of those for sleeping um, and unsafe sleep um, deaths have occurred. So. So yeah, so that's safesleep.mo.gov. That's very that's very helpful. I think that's a good that's a good resource. It's a good thing to have. Uh, Ashton, you have any other final thoughts or questions? You know, I do. I I was just thinking, like, how do we, how how can we pull this back to our audience? So, you know, like, what are some actionable steps that um, our team members and stakeholders at Children's Division can take to make a difference in this safe sleep? Um, kind of space. What do you guys think, Liz? What do you what do you think that we can we can have folks do? Well, I think it, it's reaching out to the the family, and you know you know a new mother or a, a family who just had an infant placed in their home, and and that's new for them because maybe it's grandma and grandpa taking care of this infant while uh, mom and dad are having to, to do some things, um, and. Reaching out and just having those conversations that we've already been speaking of, of how is sleep looking like for the, for the baby? Um, how is feeding time at night looking for the baby? And just if they're struggling, um, offer support. Okay, I agree. Haley, any, any, any other thoughts? Yeah, totally. Um, offering that support to a new family that, you know, personally, first of all, I think if we're going to, you know, go out and preach. You know, this stuff, we, we need to practice it in our personal lives too. And then when we're workers going into this home, really helping them flesh out that safety network and not just saying, can you identify this person? But can I help you make that phone call? Can I help you explain this? Yeah, I think that's all very helpful. I think that's, you know, we do those things. We'll help, we'll help folks help their babies. We'll help folks be safer. So it's all really a wonderful thing. Uh, any, any, anything else, Ashton? I would just say, um, and not working in the children's division space outside of communications. 1 other thing that I think could be valuable is building those community relationships that we talked about earlier. So that even if you're not the person they're reaching out to for help, the people they are reaching out to know where to go and and what to do um, to, to provide that support. Well, and that's right in your wheelhouse, Ashton, because that's communication. 
right? That's communication and that's education and that's uh, and that is going to be an important part of all of this. And so I think that's all wonderful. Well, I want to thank you all for just a great conversation today about this. I, I certainly learned things. Uh, I hope our I hope our team does too. So uh, so uh, Liz and Haley, thank you for thank you for coming on and for uh, helping with this conversation. And as always, as always, Ashton, thank you for your great work on this. And I want to thank all of you who listen in. Uh, to the We Are Children's Division podcast. Uh, until next time, uh, sleep safe. Thanks, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Listen to more episodes of this podcast or our newest podcast, The Call to Foster, wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to help us reach and inspire more Missourians. Thanks for listening.